0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, April 9th. This is your FT News Briefing. The contentious vote on whether to unionize an Amazon facility seems to be leaning in the company's favor. Countries and companies around the globe are weighing the Biden administration's proposal for taxing multinationals. And the FT's Katie Martin explains the effort by Goldman Sachs to prop up Deliveroo's IPO price after the food delivery company's disappointing debut on London's public market.
1: How did this deal go so wrong at such a delicate time when London is trying to prove its mettle? And what can we learn to try and stop this happening again?
0: I'm Mark Filipino. Here's the news you need to start your day. It was the first ever vote to unionize an Amazon facility in the US, and it looks like it will fail. Workers at the plant in Bessemer, Alabama, voted over a seven-week period. The vote count began yesterday, and it could end today. I'm joined now by Dave Lee. He's our San Francisco correspondent, and he covers Amazon for the FT. Dave, um, not only were the no votes leading when the counting paused on Thursday night, but uh, they were well ahead of the yes votes. What happened?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the union, I think privately, we're expecting to be beat in this vote. But I think the severity of that beating is is more than they um, had feared. I mean, look, over the past few weeks, uh, Amazon has pulled out all the stops to try and convince the workers at this plant that unionisation wouldn't be a good idea in their view. Um, And so, you know, there are many things that Amazon has gone through to try and fend off this vote. And it seems like that has worked. I think what's in particularly interesting about the vote tally so far is that you know after about half of them being counted it would seem that Amazon has not only attracted other workers to vote against the union but it seems to have changed the minds of people who were planning to vote for the union based on the early signs of support they needed to do the vote in the first place so I think Amazon's going to be very pleased with uh, the union busting effort that it's been carrying out over the past few weeks.
0: So Dave, regardless of the outcome, no matter which way it goes, this is most likely not the end of the process, right?
2: Yes, indeed. I think actually it's, it's fair to say it's the beginning of the process, really. So, once this vote has had a formal result from the uh, Labour Standards Board, there is almost certainly going to be an appeal from the union, the RWDSU. They're saying that some of what Amazon did in order to fight in this vote um, was illegal. In particular, they say a post box that was placed in the parking lot at the Amazon facility was designed to intimidate. Intimidate workers into thinking that Amazon was monitoring who was voting. And so the union's going to argue that this was a direct effort to influence the votes. Speaking to a few Labour experts, they think the union has a pretty strong case. And what could happen is that the uh, local regulators could, in fact, overturn the vote entirely and grant the union a victory. What would happen then? Uh, is that this would then go to Washington where Amazon could appeal on a national level to the NLRB and that would be a process that takes several months at least.
0: Dave Lee is the FT San Francisco correspondent. He covers Amazon for the FT. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Mark. More than 130 countries are digesting the Biden administration's offer of a new multinational tax system. As we've been discussing on the show, the U.S. sent a letter to the OECD this week. The U.S. is calling for the world's biggest multinational companies to pay taxes to governments based on their sales in each country. Some countries could have a hard time with this, in particular, those that have lured companies to their shores with low tax rates, like Ireland. The FT's Amy Williams has been monitoring the reactions.
3: Ireland has a low corporate tax rate. It's currently 12.5%. They haven't really commented on the plans yet. So it's low tax jurisdictions like that. It's also the Netherlands are going to be kind of least happy with these plans. Uh, Hans Wilsbrief, the Netherlands state secretary for finance, has told the FT that that he thinks this is a big step forward to finding You know, worldwide rules and worldwide solutions. But I really think when it comes to the OECD talks, it's these low tax jurisdictions that are going to be the people potentially arguing down that 21% minimum that that Biden has proposed.
0: And as you report, Amy, countries with higher taxes like France and Italy are happy with the Biden proposal. But I want to ask about corporations next. Um, will they all lose out from the new taxation system, or will any stand a benefit?
3: This is a good question i do I do think the immediate answer is that u s tech companies should benefit from this big fight over digital tax being laid to rest. I mean this is less a question of where they're domiciled or you know what tax regimes are beneficial for them than it is. The fact that they're being hit by unilateral taxes from multiple countries, right? So the UK has a tax, Italy has a tax, France has a tax, and they're all directing them at US tech companies, sending them these bills that US tech companies have to pay. So they definitely want a multilateral solution that means that effectively these different countries are working together, talking to each other a bit, and making sure that the tech companies pay. A level of tax and are not just shot bills by multiple countries all demanding the tax, right? Because that's just a headache for them and they keep having to, you know, put money aside to pay for it. And they just they just don't want to. They're in a bad spot over that. But in theory, they should welcome an OECD agreement. And they have said that they want that.
0: Amy Williams is the FT's US trade reporter and she writes our trade secrets newsletter. Thank you, Amy. Thanks. So Goldman Sachs did something interesting. This week, the FT reported that the Wall Street Bank bought 75 million pounds, that's about $100 million worth of shares, in the UK food delivery group Deliveroo. Now, if you recall, Goldman was one of the banks that helped launch Deliveroo's IPO last month, an IPO that is now famous because it was a historic flop. To talk about why Goldman propped up the IPO price, I'm joined by the FT's markets editor, Katie Martin. Katie, can you explain what's going on here?
1: So one of the jobs that banks have to do when they are bringing a deal to market like this is that they agree to try and stabilise shares if anything untoward happens in the first few days of trading. And that's um, very much what happened here. So what what Goldman Sachs did, as you said, is bought 75 million uh, quid's worth of shares to support the trading. That's about a quarter of the value of the shares traded in the first two days that Deliveroo had as a a public entity. Now, the bank should have made a profit here. Uh, Whatever it paid below the offer price equates to the profit effectively booked on the trade. But in this case, it's going to be surrendered to Deliveroo, which is another interesting wrinkle here.
0: Someone described the Goldman move in the FT comments as similar to when your kids come home with a box of candy bars to sell for a school fundraiser and you, the parent, end up buying them all because your kids are too lazy to walk around the neighborhood and knock on doors, which is just fantastic. Um, (laughs) Is that an accurate comparison
1: yeah, I mean, that's not a bad analogy, actually. And you've got to hope that you like sweets at that point. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it just all reflects the fact that everyone was terribly excited about about this deal hitting the market. But in reality, you know, various things have been blamed for it going wrong, or there are short sellers, you know, people always blame short sellers when when IPOs go wrong, or, oh, market conditions weren't right. Well, you know probably would have been if, if it had been structured differently or priced differently. In reality, really what this deal tells you is that you know some of the froth has come off the tech stock phenomenon. There were also some issues around the amount of control that was left with the, the chief executive, which excludes the stock from the FTSE 100 index. So there was just a whole bunch of things that went wrong all at the same time. What's going to be important now, equities bankers say, is will this put other companies off from from listing in London? Will they look at this experience and think, well, that could have been us? Maybe, maybe not. It looks like there's a very particular set of things that all went wrong at the same time here. But, you know, Goldman Sachs has certainly kind of worked hard to try and keep the shares in in check. And they haven't fallen further since the IPO, but they haven't really picked up either. So this is just something that's going to hang over the market for some time.
0: Going back to Goldman for a second, you know, it was bringing this IPO to market. Shouldn't it have been aware of these issues, or was it just a case of the train going full speed and it was just you know too hard to stop at that point?
1: Yeah, I think there's still quite a lot that we don't know around who decided to price it where where it priced. I think one thing that they definitely underestimated is the strength of feeling around deliveroo's employment practices. You know, this is quite a contentious point in the UK at the moment. The delivery drivers are not treated as full employees. There has been some some shift on that recently, but nonetheless that investors are taking their responsibilities seriously towards um, employees, but especially quite low-paid low employees these days, and and this is just something that enough investors felt strongly about that they just weren't prepared to play, and it's a real warning sign to other technology companies that if you have based your model on a on a low-cost labour assumption, then you might have problems.
0: Kitty Martin is the FT's markets editor. Thank you, Kitty. Welcome. You can read more on all of these stories at ft.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filippino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music.